Welcome back to Bullpen Sessions. My name is Andy Neary. Each week, I sit down with abundant thinkers who are kicking ass in life. And we deconstruct the formulas they have used to have success in business and in life to help you unpack your life, your business, so you can do the same. So put a smile on, grab a pen and a paper, get ready to take a ton of notes because you, my friend, are about to go on a wild ride. Here we go. Hey, hey, welcome back to Bullpen Sessions. I am super excited this week to sit down with Paige Lawrence. Paige is uh, the founder of Paige Lawrence Coaching. She's an executive coach helping entrepreneurs grow their business to scale, grow their business confidently, grow their business with one hell of a plan of action. And I love Paige's approach to her executive coaching business because she is not your typical executive coach. She comes with a different background, different experiences, different perspectives compared to what other coaches you might see out there who come at it from solely from a business perspective and from the business field. You see, Paige takes it from the mindset of an athlete, which is near and dear to my heart. So not only do we talk about Paige's coaching business, but we talk about her past, her past, her Olympic moment, her, her, time in the spotlight of Olympic glory as a Canadian figure skater. You see, Paige Lawrence earned the opportunity along with her uh, skating partner, Rudy Swigers, back in 2014 to represent Canada's figure skating pairs in the Sochi Winter Olympics. And so throughout this episode, we talk about what that was like, you know, to have those, uh, let's call it those 15 minutes of fame where you are the, you have the attention of the world. All eyes of the globe are sitting sitting and staring at you. What does that feel like for an Olympic athlete? But we also go deeper than that. You see, Paige learned how to figure skate it by the age of four. So we talk about that journey of what was it like, those years of putting that hard work, that practice in, those failures, until having that realization that you have the ability to skate at the Olympic level. But maybe even more important than that, we talk about what life was like after the Olympic glory is over. So many Olympic athletes fall into depression, right? You have all this attention for, for a few weeks. You spent four years training for one moment, and then it's over. And so we talk about the struggles Paige had, but how she is now thriving long after the Olympic glory is over and how she is using the same mindset, the same perspective to help entrepreneurs do the same. I love this. Paige absolutely believes that we are all capable and deserving of achieving our own Olympic moment. And so I'm excited to bring Paige to you. I'm excited to to share her Olympic journey with you, the struggles she had after Olympic glory was over and what she's doing about it now to help entrepreneurs take their game to an Olympic level so they can scale their business and live their dreams. So I'm excited to bring Paige, grab a piece of paper, grab your pen. You know what you're going to do next. You're going to take a lot of notes because you're going to fall in love with Paige and you're going to have a lot of, a lot of new perspectives from this episode. So let's dive in. Here we go. Shift your mindset. All right, Paige Lawrence, welcome to Bullpen Sessions. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. Folks, if you're listening in, I love interviewing athletes. In fact, that's the goal of this Bullpen Sessions podcast moving forward. Most when you think of athletics, though, you think I'm going to interview some baseball players, some football players. Today, I get to interview a figure skater. This is going to be what, fun. What? <laughs> and, and, I lo- and also, Paige is, Paige is a neighbor uh, to our north. 
<laughs> right? You're from you're from the great country of Canada. So let's start there, Paige. Uh, we're going to talk about your Olympic uh, fame, you know, the rise to, to becoming an Olympic figure skater and all that great stuff that goes with it. But for the folks listening in who are like, okay, Paige Lawrence, who the heck is that? Let's just, let's start there. Who are you? Tell us your story. Where are you from? And then we'll roll from there. Yeah. Tell us your story. I can take up your whole podcast. Um, <laughs> Maybe we'll, we'll try to make this the first one question <laughs> podcast ever. <laughs> I'll just take it and roll with it. Um, so yeah, I'm from a super small town called Kennedy. It's in Saskatchewan. I mean, Saskatchewan's made up of small towns. I grew up on a ranch. My, uh, my parents run a rodeo production company. My mom's a nurse. Um, so grew up from a young age working. Um, and I was, my parents put me in figure skating really just cause that's all there was to do in the dead of winter in Saskatchewan. Uh, little did they know that it would lead me to the Olympics, you know? Um, so yeah, no, I just, I really started skating cause I loved it. And I, my parents continued to find opportunities to help push that along as much as I loved it. They wanted to give me great opportunities. And I, uh, started working with the coach that took me to the Olympics when I was nine, started skating pairs with uh, the boy that I ended up going to the Olympics with when I was 15. Um, we really just created this awesome career out of seemingly nothing, you know? Um, so from the, that point on, when I started skating pairs, it was just one thing after the next. So it was, was started out as like, it, what I'm trying to say is it was just kind of like one choice led to the next choice, led to the next choice. And all of a sudden mm. we were faced with the choice of, wow, we could actually probably go to the Olympics. You know, should we make that a thing? That's where I want to, and I want to go with that too, because uh, being the athletic nerd that I am, there's so many questions I could ask right now. You know, so you said you started getting coached at age nine. I was started getting coached probably younger than that, but I okay. met, I started working with the coach uh, that ends up going to the Olympics with when I was nine. Um, okay. Yeah. And so, so a couple of things that I'm just curious again, being the athletic nerd, when it comes to pairs, do you get to choose who you're a pair with? Or is it just kind of, Hey, we're both getting coached by the same coach. Let's just start working together to become a pair. Yeah. So typically it's a, it's like a big process. There's two like pair tryouts, um, coaches talk with coaches to strategize best partnerships, et cetera. Um, people have gotten found partners, in different countries, you know, overseas. Um, but for Rudy, that was my partner's name for Rudy and myself. It was really just, we were the only two in our rink that wanted to skate pairs that, uh, we were both lefties, which is important when finding a partner. Um, and our coach was like, yeah, you two are going to do it. I actually didn't want to do pairs at first. My coach made me. <laughs> so I'm thankful for her pushing me into it. But yeah, for us, it was just a matter of circumstances. Oh, okay. So I've got to ask, you just said something that I'm like, wait a second. Wait, 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 I got to ask this. So when I think of sports like football, basketball, baseball, lefty, righty, I totally get where does, where's the importance of being a lefty and righty in figure skating? I got to know this. Yeah. And most people don't really even think about it, but all skaters rotate one direction. So mm. I rotated clockwise. My partner and I rotated clockwise. We jumped clockwise. We spun clockwise. I mean, it sets up how you go into and out of elements um, we're one directional. I mean, we skate both ways, but we do our, our tricks one way. And so majority of figure skaters for whatever reason are righties. They rotate counterclockwise. Um, and so Rudy and myself being kind of the minority, um, pushed us together. 
So for most people listening in, and I'm going to call them us ignorant fans of figure skating, when, <laughs> when you hear the word figure skating, you think of Blades of Glory oh, yeah. and you think of uh, the movie um, Cutting Edge, which I love. Toe pick, right? <laughs> but when it comes to pairs figure skating, like how, I don't know how I want to ask this, but the teamwork has to be, you have to be such a well-oiled machine, Right from the time you and Rudy started working together, when did you realize like, okay, we are that well-oiled machine. How long was that process? So we started skating together, like I said, in 2006, I think, um, in the summer. So like June and we competed at our first nationals in January. So like we jumped right into it. I mean, we both were strong single skaters. So it's like we came into the pairs event like with experience and qualifications, you know? So we we gelled together pretty quickly at the base level. Like we could do the technical things, if that makes sense. Yeah. That's actually like the easiest part of starting a new partnerships is doing the things that you're supposed to do. Um, the tricky part that comes with really time and effort um, is the nuances of a pair team. So you, when you watch a pair team, that's really great. It's like the girl puts out a hand and the boy's right there. You know, it's, it's those like subtleties that really define attention to detail, trust, commitment, longevity of a career. Um, it's when you know the person, how the person moves before they move, you know, like that is something that just takes time really. It's, it's actually really good. The reason I, I wanted to ask you that is I think it's such a good lesson, right, of <clears throat> teams in general. You think about the business world. For a team to operate um, like a well-oiled machine, I just shared a post today about this. I, I had the chance to have the experience of pitting a NASCAR race, oh, cool. a, a NASCAR race car with a team. Yeah. And in order to, to do that well, you literally have to be in sync. You have to know every teammate has to know his or her role. You have to know exactly where your team is going to be, when they're going to be there. It, it just has to be like second nature, right? Totally. But I think what people don't understand is they see you on TV doing the pairs thing, right? And you're like, oh, that's great. Look at them. But the number of hours every single day, I'm sure, that went in for you and Rudy to finally hit that point where you're like, yeah, we're a weld oil machine had to be immense. Absolutely. I mean, I can remember um, initially when we started working together, something as simple as like leaving the boards to go skate away, we'd be like left foot. Yeah. yeah let's like leave on left. And you know, which sounds ridiculous, but you had to speak these things into existence. Um, and then at the end of the career, you know what I mean? It's like, I felt Rudy and like initiate movement. And I just like would know where he was going type of thing. Yes. So. <laughs> no, that that's so, that's so true because again, Olympics, I think are such a good, analogy for this because I tell people this all the time, especially the, the, the advisors I coach, everybody wants to throw the touchdown pass in the Super Bowl. Everybody wants to hit the game-winning three-point shot. In your case, everybody wants to be in the Olympics doing all the magical flips and turns and twists on the ice rink, but very few people are willing to go through the monotonous boredom to actually get there. And so in your case, literally, there was a time when you and Rudy started out pushing off the board together. You ready? Here we go. And that ended in the 2014 Sochi Olympics. Yeah. Yeah. 
I, uh, what you said just makes me think of, it's actually, it's something I was journaling on the other day. And it's almost like there's aspects of, of what we do as coaches, what this world has kind of glamorized, um, that, that makes failure, like takes away from the suck and how hard failure is and how difficult it is to create results that really matter to you. It's like, and I do it myself too, right? Like I talk about my, my failures or my mistakes and then like, oh, the big win. So you don't actually have to sit in the suck, but getting from that point of like telling each other how, which foot to leave the boards with to compete on the Olympic ice was really freaking hard, you know? And I think that's so important for us to talk about um, amongst ourselves more is it's okay for the hard to be really freaking hard. Like when you're in Absolutely. it, and that you have to push through that. And I think um, that's what, what you said reminded me of that. Like, yeah, it's not, it's not just a, a smooth sailing journey. And when I, I, say, so. when I say it sucked, it sucked. Well, and I heard this quote today from a colleague of mine that I thought was so true. Be okay at sucking at something at first. Yes, totally. So there came a point where you guys realized, okay, there's a chance here. Like we could, we could actually uh, make the Olympics, whether that's 14, eight, 2014, 2018, whatever that is, you had that point where you're like, okay, this is serious. Cause I think a lot of people look at certain countries when it comes to Olympic sports and they see these kids that are put in these schools when they're five years old and they, their whole life is, is Olympic training, Olympic training, Olymp until they finally hit that point. Was or there a point or burnout? Yeah. Was there a point where you and Rudy and your coach realized like, holy crap, you two have the talent to do this. Yeah. Um, I think we always believed right off the bat that we had this really cool potential, you know, like right from day one, which gave us the confidence to push through the first two years of suckiness. Um, we kind of had our breakthrough moment on our third year in the junior ranks, which is like second from the top. And um, that was really awesome just to be like, okay, validation, we can do this. Um, but then just the way Olympic sports work we work on the four-year system right so two years out from 2010 which is where we were at at this time is really fine-tuning your approach to make the 2010 olympics right and so suddenly we were on the radar oh, i'm sorry <laughs> suddenly we were this, on is, this is raw raw podcasting here we're not editing anything out so keep it going let's go i'm so sorry um but essentially we found ourselves unexpectedly on the radar like not as a shoe in but we we're like oh my gosh we're competing against the people that will be going to the olympics right so that's yep. like our next move and so we sat down had a really good conversation about our goals and we knew that 2010 was unrealistic but we wanted to to put our name in the hat in 2010 essentially to solidify our our spot for 2014 right or solidify yeah. our attempts so yeah it was in 2008 that we sat down and we're like yeah 2014 is the one like that's what we're going for here and so it, six years out we kind of made that decision Wow. And so think about that. The, again, you, um, it's translating athlete, the athletic mindset into the business applications, what this podcast is all about. You set a six-year plan. Sochi was in 14. So in 08, you were already creating this plan. Yeah. So many people want the result tomorrow, right? Mm -hmm. And they're not willing to put that work in. So, wow. So when was that? What, that, what was that moment like? Because I'm guessing to qualify was probably some national competition. What was that feeling like when you guys realized, holy shit, we're going to the Olympics? 
Yeah. Um, it's such a, that's a loaded question. I mean, we had just had, I had just had probably my hardest year. Um, that six year plan, it was awesome. And like, you know, plans often <laughs> don't work out the way we intend. And 2013 was really just this scramble to recreate and to get myself into the best position. I was going through a lot of injuries. And so I was injured going into the qualifying event. Our entire year wasn't what we'd intended. And so the moment that the marks came up and we realized uh, my coach was like sitting beside me and she knew exactly like down to the decimal points of what our score needed to be. Right. I'm living in oblivion. Land. I didn't want to be thinking about what other people were doing. And she's sitting beside me and she's like whispering, like, we just need to be whatever the score was like over and over. And they announced it and we had, we had enough. And I started crying like an ugly crying on national television, which is so embarrassing. But to me, I, I'm not a crier. I never cry. I don't cry from pain. I don't cry from happiness. I don't cry. Like, you know, I'm not a crier. <laughs> and so it was so, um, that hit me that like, that was a physical <laughs> reaction to what, what this meant to me. Um, I still get goosebumps talking about it. Like if yeah. I kept talking about it, maybe I'd cry now. I don't know. I'm not going to, <laughs> But it was just such a relief and, and a moment of pride and just like an immense, overwhelming, happy feeling. Wow. Yeah. Accomplishment, right? Yeah. Yeah. So Sochi is in 2014, right? And I think number one, I talk about this a lot with athletics. You think about a lot of the sports in the States here, the people who are lauded for their competitiveness, uh, a Nick Saban, who I admire more than anything, Michael Jordan. These guys didn't take a day off. They win championships and the next day Saban's out recruiting and Jordan's in the weight room. That's great. But I think we, as business professionals, you know, those that are, that are cranking away in the business world have to also celebrate victories. Mm -hmm. Those small successes. Now, Qualifying for the Olympics is no small success, but that moment of you're giving yourself the space to cry literally on national TV because you're like, holy crap, I started skating when I was four, four. five, six years old, and here I am now about to compete at literally the highest level that you can in figure skating in the world. So let's go there. Now you're in Sochi. Couple questions. This is again more athlete nerd because, by the way, we are going to start applying this to your business career because there's going to be some great lessons in here. <laughs> when you did the opening ceremonies, mm. what was that like? Taking because that's a time to actually relax, right? Like that is your moment of relaxation. And I could be wrong, but when you're walking around that stadium, what was that feeling like? Yeah. So, opening ceremonies, I've talked to a lot of different Olympians before going and they were like if you can go in the opening ceremonies because some people choose not to because they compete the next day like it's mm -hmm. we all have a plan sometimes it doesn't mm -hmm. fit luckily for us it fit so everyone had told me you know it's, it's amazing and i was kind of just like okay it's gonna be cool i get it like i'll go um but i'm here to compete right so that was my mentality and i was i remember the day with this like the Olympic village was close enough to the venue that all of the countries lined up in our village. And we started this huge train of walking because we walked into the arena. So we had to start walking from our village. So there was this long, probably two hour procession. And I'm just surrounded by team Canada. I'm talking, it's excited. It's like energetic. And, um, 
uh, I was bouncing around like a ping pong ball for crying out loud, just like super pumped. And then the next thing I know, I'm walking, somehow we'd gone below and we were walking up out of the middle of the, the arena. Um, and it's the biggest arena I've ever been in. It was the loudest arena I've ever been, been in with colors everywhere and lights. And I, I don't even know how long I walked like this until I realized that my, my mouth was open. Like my jaw, <laughs> I was actually like, and then, you know, I was like, oh gosh, this is on national television page, close your mouth. <laughs> so it, it was surreal. It caught me off guard. It was one of the most amazing experiences of my entire life that I will never be able to recreate again. So, That's awesome. That is yeah. so that is so cool. So how is it as an athlete? Because this this is, you know, when I think of sports and I think of business, stepping up for the big moment, right? Again, here you are, years in the making for this one moment, this this Olympic competition. Did you feel as an athlete in that moment, did you put any additional pressure or felt like you did? Or was it just another day at the office for you? Here you are again. Olympic athletes, right? You are the spotlight of the world for two weeks. Did you, did you feel the additional pressure for you? Was it just another day at the office? I would be lying to you if I said I didn't feel the additional pressure. You know, I think it would be, yeah, I, I, it wouldn't be fair to the experience because it's the okay. Olympics, right? Yep. So it's huge. It's the culmination of yep. my lifetime's work and all of yep. that stuff. Yet I have, I had prepared myself <laughs> both figure skating wise, but mentally as well with my sports psychologist yep. to show up in that moment. I mean, like that's what we worked for was to show up in that moment. And I had this beautiful realization right before I took the ice, which is, I'm very thankful for it. I don't know why it popped in my head, but it did. But essentially it was a reminder of that little four-year-old. I think someone texted it to me before I went to the Olympics, but it was the reminder of the little four-year-old that started skating because she loved it and how, in awe she would be of this opportunity. And it's like, what would that little girl do? I'm like, that little girl would show up, step on this ice stick, go out there and have fun and strut her stuff, like with no extra thoughts. And that thought really allowed, put me back in my skates. I turned to my partner and I'm like, we're just figure skating. Like we, we figure skate every single day. Like this is the moment to do what we've done every single day. So pause on how big it is and let's just go figure skates. I friggin' love doing what we do, you know? So it was a moment of both. Like I felt how big it was, but it was also very minuscule in like, this is what I do every day. And I'm, I love it. <laughs> That's awesome. That is, that is knowing what your purpose is and finding the joy and happiness in what you do no matter what environment you're in, you just happen to be in that moment in an ice rink in Sochi, Russia at what's known as the 24, 2014 Winter Olympics, right? Yeah. <laughs> okay, so Olympics are over. You read so much about athletes, Olympians that come off that high of the spotlight. Again, you are literally the attention, have the attention of the world for two weeks. And, and most Olympic athletes don't have, or weren't able to do what a, a Michael Phelps did. What did he participate in four Olympics? Um, a lot of them suffer, you know, they go into depression, they suffer from coming off that high. And, and for too many of them, it actually becomes an extreme low. Once mm -hmm. that attention's gone, did you go through anything like that when the Olympics were over? Yeah. So we call it the post-Olympic blues, which is, <laughs> 
<laughs> downplays the situation. Um, I think it's like you said, it's going to be varying degrees or intensity for different people. Um, but 100%, yes. And we were in a very interesting, uh, unique spot to other sports because we actually had world championships like three weeks after the Olympics. So we came home from the Olympics. We were going through jet lag, the post-Olympic blues where you're just, you there's a, it's like a vacuum suck of energy and excitement and support and, and purpose. Um, and yet we still had to show up and train because we competed three weeks later. So that was both difficult, but it was yeah. also helpful, I think, because it allowed us as athletes do to prioritize and like put blinders on. Um, but after Worlds was over, it hit a little harder then. And then I retired, like my partner and I, for, um, you know, many reasons, we ended up splitting and I retired. So not only was it the post-Olympic blues, but it's your retirement blues. And um, I really struggled for a while, to be yeah. completely honest. Yeah. Well, I, th I think for any athlete, when you're, no matter what sport you're playing, you, it's easy to feel defined by that sport. And I think so many athletes, especially whether it's they made it to Olympic glory, they've made it to professional sports or just college was it or high school, mainly college was it right. Okay. Once that's over, like they spent a long time, a large chunk of their life dedicated to that one thing. And when it's over, I think for many, it's hard to make that bridge mm -hmm. to whatever is next, that next chapter. Right. And so for you, a couple of things, um, looking back on that experience, literally from age four to Sochi. I'm going to put you on the spot. If you could break the lessons you learned from that period of your life as the, as the Olympic, as the figure skater, professional Olympian, what are the one or two lessons you take away from that? Whew, that is putting me on the spot. Um, so I would say like the first thing that jumps into my mind is to take responsibility for your work ethic and your actions. Like, take responsibility for your results. Um, that's something that I learned at a very young age from my parents, you know, two hardworking people, from my coach who expected excellence every single day, um, from my partner who I wanted to show up for every single day. And when things didn't work out, that's a direct reflection of like what I did. That's where I went first, what I did. No, there's things you can't control, right? That mm -hmm. happens. But it still comes back to what do you wanna do about the thing that you can't control? You know, yeah. so I think that that's one of the, the biggest lessons I've taken away from it is that you control the results you achieve, you yeah. know, and, and I, yeah, so I think that would be one of them. Um, another kind of overarching thing in my, my career that it taught me it, and I made an Instagram post about it the other day too, is that it's not about the resources. It's about the resourcefulness within you that determines your yeah. success. And again, this still comes back to like your actions, your effort. But I think that especially in today's world, it's very easy to get lost in what you don't have around you and how that puts you behind or puts you at a disadvantage. Um, it's very easy to look at what other people have and that, that with that, how that contributes to their success rather than just looking in yourself and, and seeing what, assessing what you have and figuring out what you can do with it. So to tag onto that, the resourcefulness, it's be solution focused. Find oh, absolutely. I mean, well, know? and that, that applies to sports <clears throat> and it applies to social media. How many people say, oh, I can't get started. I don't have the same 
video crew as Gary Vanderchuk. And I don't have, I, I, I can't be a podcaster. I don't have all the right equipment. Guys, I am freaking doing this podcast right now, sitting on my bed because we're lacking space today for other reasons. And I am literally have my laptop sitting on a box. <laughs> You can do anything you want and you don't need the resources. Take 100% ownership of every action you take. I love that page. Now you yeah. said something where I think a lot of people might've missed, but my brain went, aha, I want to talk about that. You had a sports psychologist. Yeah. You and I are both coaches. Why the heck would you have a sports psychologist? For me, there was what we did as athletes and what business people do, entrepreneurs, small business owners, like executives. It's hard. You're juggling a lot of different balls with high standards, um, big repercussions for mistakes and failure and all these things. Um, and at the end of the day, like I said, it comes down to what you're doing and what you're doing comes down to how you think. So for me, I noticed that I was reaching a point in my career that I was peaking at. Uh, and the thing that was holding me back was myself. Yep. So I reached out to a sports psych tried a couple of different one of them and found someone that I really connected with. And it was the, it was a game changer for my career and my life because suddenly it became someone that helped me access. It sounds so corny, but like helped me access my potential or more of my potential. You yeah. know, that's awesome. You know, because I, I, I preach this and I heard, I think it was an, uh, an NHL player say this on a podcast, the, the best athletes will tell you it's 80% mindset, 20% skill. Mm -hmm. And so every day you and Rudy went to practice, that was skill. Mm -hmm. But what most people don't spend their time on is the mindset piece of athletics. And that's probably, you know, I wish I would, I wish I had a sports psychologist back when I was playing pro ball, because mm -hmm. it was this, that failed my mind that failed that I attribute much of my lack of success to in pro, pro baseball. So I'm, I, I wanted to bring that up because I, I didn't want people to miss that mindset yeah. is everything in business it and in sports. And so I'm so glad that you, you did say that. It is, and it's not just in those Olympic moments. 100%, I worked really hard on my own, my own mindset to compete at my best. But the part that I think often gets overlooked is I worked really hard to show up every single day as my best, to train at my best, because how I trained influenced how I performed. And that's, what I, that's what I like to do with my clients is help them to show up every single day ready to put the effort in with intention and purpose so they get the results that they want, you yeah. know? So it's, it's, it's well, and I just had the podcast that went out today. I, lo I love what you said. Uh, Samson Jagoris is an entrepreneur here in Fort Collins that I had on the podcast, former college football player. And he said, you have to show up every day. Like it's week one, day one. Mm -hmm. And I love that. So that's kind of what you're saying. You got to show up every day. You got to show yeah. up every day to put your best foot forward. So let's finish up here. I, I know we're running out of time, but I, I don't want to I don't want people to forget about the, the second half of Paige's life, which has been just as exciting. If you look up Paige right now on Instagram and LinkedIn and other platforms, you wouldn't see her figure skating. You're going to see Paige Lawrence coaching. So let's talk about that a little bit, Paige. What are you doing today? How are you helping maybe athletes and other business professionals uh, live up to their potential? Yeah, that's a, a thank you for bringing it up. So I work with entrepreneurs and executives to ditch the excuses and take quick and impactful action so they can create the results that they want. So what we just said, I help people break down what they're doing so that they can create change, like positive change in their life. And I, I say I bring sports into business. So the sports mindset into business. And um, 
really take a look at how like performance breaks down into like actionable things. So for me, that's working with people on their preparation, setting people up for success. You got to have a plan. You got to know where you're going because that gives you the direction executing. So walking the talk, how do we get you doing the things that you say you want to do? And that's both <laughs> doing the stuff. And it's also mindset and then ownership, like having the confidence in what you're doing to show up at your best, to know that you're a badass and to have that radiate out in everything that you're doing. Uh, so that's the, that's the focus. That's where the, the fun is when I, who's when your, I work who's your ideal, work. like who's your ideal, uh, coaching client. Yeah. I, I love entrepreneurs who are like, I would say maybe like second year business or, or more because they have already an overarching vision of where they're going. Kind of like, I know I wanted to go to the Olympics, but they need help breaking down their actual day-to-day -day stuff. I love working with uh, executives on a high performance team. Cause again, they know what they want, but they're still, they're fighting to overcome a few different things. Something that's holding them back. So getting in there and breaking those like preparation, execution, ownership down to really fine tune and create that high performance team. Um, I think probably those are the two areas that I'm excited about right now. Let me ask you this as a former athlete, now coach, where you're working with people in a field where maybe you don't have a ton of expertise, like, right. You've never run a business or you never like started a business. You've never been a business executive. Did you run into any imposter syndrome, uh, when you first started coaching business executives? Totally. Okay. Yes. It's been a really interesting, um, experience being an entrepreneur. So starting over again on this, like whole journey from, from beginner to expert, and it's been really interesting to see how I show up with my clients. Uh, both of those things have caused me to kind of relearn some of the things that I learned as an athlete, the things that I coach my, my uh, coachees on. Those are the things that have pop up for me and I've had to relearn again. So it's been so cool to see the parallels that I teach about be things that I'm walking as well. That's well, the reason I wanted to ask you that is I dealt with that too, because I, I coach insurance advisors, which I spent, I've spent most of my career in, but I, have I sold the most insurance ever? No. So there was a part of me that was like, what, what right do I have to coach other people? But what I realized is no, 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 wait a second. When I'm coaching them, my credibility is what I'm coaching them is what helped me become a professional baseball player. Mm -hmm. You're coaching the same skills that allowed you to become an Olympian figure skater. And yeah. so that to me is the credibility. I'm going to teach you what I did to become the athlete at the highest level. I'm just going to help you apply it to your life, which happens to be business. Totally. So let's, let's finish here in your coaching. If you were to share one or two lessons that you have applied and taken from your figure skating career and applied it to your coaching career, what would those lessons be? Man, it depends, I guess, on, the, on the, the person, but one reoccurring theme I've seen a lot of is taking messy action. So I'll, I'll parallel that to my sport was based on me falling with purpose. I fell every single day with purpose of getting better. And that's something that I think a lot of people struggle with in the business world of making mistakes with purpose because of, of how they're framing it. So one of the things for me is helping people fail purposely or purposefully I should say. Learn, learn to learn to love failure yeah exactly so like it's creating that growth mindset of how can I make this make me better yep 
So that's that's definitely a lesson that I've seen uh, a lot of people really do well with. Um, what else would be notable? I mean, I think it's creating consistent habits, right? So in sport, we call it deliberate training. It goes into those 10,000 hours. It's not just pr like practice. It's not just being busy in what you're doing. It's have a plan and how do these actions feed into that plan so that you're feeding into your bigger goal. And I think that that's something that is often um, overlooked in our mm -hmm. busy lives as entrepreneurs and executives and you know, running your own businesses is busy work. Oh, there's everything that I have to do. I'm just gonna jam pack my day. I worked from 6 a.m. to 9 p.m. And then you look at it and you're like, but what did you actually do that yep. feeds directly into your goals? And so for me, that's, that's a big like flashlight moment of like, let's dig in here and see what is deliberate training and what is just busy work. Yeah. Um, yeah, I would say those, those are well, and I think that's that's the beauty of coaching um, coming from an athlete. When you were figure skating, you knew what you were doing. You know what skills you had to work on, but you still needed a coach. Why? For the discipline and the accountability. It's just mm -hmm. to hold your ass to the fire that you're going to actually do it. And so let's finish here. If somebody wanted to connect and reach out to you, uh, what are the the most efficient, effective ways to get in contact with you? So right now I'm actually running a little um, – free coaching session. So it's you oh, take okay. a performance diagnostics. So you take a short little quiz and then we have a talk about what I've learned from reading that and assessing that essentially it pinpoints areas in your preparation your execution and your ownership that you could be doing better in, which essentially helps you develop those areas and be better. So I'll send you a link that maybe yes. you can share with that. Um, and if that's uh, not your, your thing, then, uh, follow me on Instagram page, She's, Lawrence coaching. She does. She has great content on Instagram. I'll put the link to that assessment in the show notes. Yes. So everybody awesome. can, everybody can get a hold of that. So Paige, thank you so much. Uh, this was awesome. I wanted to have you on because I think most people can't connect with what it's like to be an Olympic athlete. Right. But they definitely can connect with what it's like to be judged. Mm -hmm. You are literally judged in figure skating with scores. <laughs> They can definitely resonate with what it's like to fail, um, to come off the high of, of whatever it is. In your case, it was the Olympics. It could be just winning a big case in sales, and now you're coming off that. So, so many things I think athletes struggle with, but the more important thing is how you have shifted that athlete mindset and used it now to become an entrepreneur and grow your coaching business. Now, I haven't even shared this, guys. I'm excited. In a few weeks, I'm actually going to interview Paige's husband, who is <laughs> – who is a, a professional bareback rider in the North American rodeo circuit, right? His name, he's got the best name ever, Richmond champion. Like and he's, who, very, he's very cute. And who would want to go up against an athlete named Richard champion? His last name is already, his last name is his destination. And so <laughs> anyways, I'm, I'm excited to have him. But Paige, thank you so much. And guys, if you're listening in, um, remember, this is this is bringing the athlete mindset to you to show you how you can apply the mindset of an athlete, people who have exceeded at the highest level in sports, so you can apply it to your business and life. Because you know what happens when confidence and clarity collide? Action happens. So go make it happen today. Shift your mindset. Hey, I just want to say thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode. If you're finding bullpen sessions to be valuable to your business and your life, do me a favor. 
please go to Apple, please subscribe, give it a five-star rating. And if you have anybody else in your life, whether it's in your personal tribe or in your business that could also be impacted by listening to these episodes, do me a favor, share the bullpen sessions with them. I'd be extremely grateful. And until next time, go out, make it happen today, put a smile on your face and have some fun.